0: List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxhops.com.
1: Eddie Ryan, Jr., welcome to Urban Forum Northwest. Thank you very much. That last person you heard was me and Rice out of the Port of Seattle's Diversity Contracting Office. My first guest is uh, the Director of the Seattle Office of Civil Rights, uh, Derek Wheeler-Smith. So I'm glad that I was able to swear my technology away, sir. You were hearing me and nobody, I, I couldn't hear anybody else. So my mom, volume was down. But anyway, uh, we know that you grew up in Seattle and stuff like that. Rainier Valley, I know you helped organize the marches after the George Floyd uh, murder uh, and had 65,000 people marching in South Seattle with uh, Dom- Dominique uh, Davis and others, and uh, there was no incidents, no problems or anything else. But why don't you t- uh, share a little bit about uh, your duties and responsibilities at the Seattle Office of Civil Rights? Yeah,
2: certainly. Um, appreciate the opportunity just to to be in space and to sh- uh, To share a little bit about uh the fantastic work that's happening at the seattle office for civil rights um i'm certainly uh honored just to be able to serve uh in this capacity and um you know being the director of this office is is a calling right not merely um, to not merely be a professional with a title but to inspire us all to be friends neighbors colleagues residents and lovers really of the global world Uh, the goal though, for our department is really just to be able to organize systems and structures of belonging, uh, to increase agency for the persecuted and prevented groups in the city of Seattle. And how do we do that? We do that really by undertaking, uh, you know, enforcement, uh, which we enforce, uh, the civil rights of, uh, 24 different protected classes in the city of Seattle. So anyone within the city of course could file, um, a civil rights claim uh, with our department. We do that through policy. Uh, We do that through education activities that align with the mission of a thriving and powerful uh, community that fosters shared healing and belonging. Uh, A few examples, I would say, are really some work that we're doing to develop a proactive policy agenda that engages both internal and external stakeholders to the city, um, especially our four commissions, the women's commissions, our LGBTQ commission uh human rights commission and our disabilities commission and uh and the development of a of a comprehensive strategy that allows all 44 departments to think about how we collectively work with communities to make the kind of investments that will generate widespread social uh and economic benefits
1: and uh, give us an idea of uh, what how many complaints do you file in a weekly or monthly basis
2: yeah that you know that that varies in terms of uh, the amount of complaints that we have on on a weekly basis. But if I were to maybe break it down on a weekly basis in terms of what comes across my desk, I mean, you know, as you can imagine, sometimes it takes a little bit of time uh, for our investigators who actually investigate these claims, and you know, this obviously can take time. So sometimes it could be three months, six months, eight months. Um, depending upon the amount of of claims that are coming across the desk. But I'd say probably weekly, we are probably in the process of signing off on on claims. We're probably in the in the in the realm of anywhere between five to ten claims per week where there's an actual finding. And that's after a three to six month period. Right. Like I said, of of going through an investigative process with uh, our enforcement team.
1: Is there any one group filing more complaints than others other protected classes?
2: um yeah uh much of what we were seeing was a a lot of stuff around uh housing i know that many folks are familiar with or might not be familiar or could be but with some of the fair chance housing stuff uh that came out so the ninth circuit recently issued a ruling with regards to our fair chance housing ordinance the the law originally protected and prohibited landlords from being able to use criminal history information in screening applicants and tenants in housing and the court found that that portion of the ordinance banning landlords from asking tenants and applicants about criminal history was unconstitutional. However, the court did uphold the portion that bans landlords from being able to take adverse actions such as like denying somebody housing based on their criminal history. And so uh, we have been, of course, my office has been doing some work. um, As uh, a few weeks ago, the, the city attorney's office petitioned the court to review the Ninth Circuit decision. And so we're just continuing to enforce while waiting for a final decision while also analyzing possible amendments to fair chance housing as the case proceeds and if and when uh,
1: you know that mandate is, is issued. Uh, how many people do you have on your staff? Uh,
2: there are 37 people right now on our staff. If we are at full capacity, uh, we're generally at around 45 folks when our office is at full capacity.
1: And what uh, uh, areas are they uh, employing in? I know you gotta have yes. investigators. What else do you have? What yeah, do you have so got,
2: yeah, so we've got four uh, four divisions within the office. We have the race and social justice initiative. Um, I don't know how familiar folks might be with that. We actually just recently passed an ordinance uh, that uh, was adopted actually by city council and has now gone into code uh that took a lot of bridging work between our office the council and the mayor's office um but it was important legislation that was developed and refined many people might not know but the race and social justice initiative in seattle was the first of its kind of government uh committing to hold itself to racist outcomes it was founded in 2004 and it literally took roughly two decades to wire that groundbreaking racial equity work through all 44 city departments and so we really just want to have the kind of imagination where we can think about a city where everyone has food security health care child care access to needs uh, that are being met in terms of just disabilities whether we're talking about language affordable housing and the ability really to just be able to build generational wealth and family ties of choice and so we're really trying to reimagine a vision for rsji over the next 20 years and beyond where we design a city without racial disparity uh in deep partnership obviously with community uh, that our society has really historically excluded by systemic racism and tribal status and so i'm excited to embrace this work together because i really see nothing but opportunities ahead so we've got the race and social justice initiative we have enforcement which we mentioned and then we have a community investments division so there's participatory budgeting uh which is around 27 million dollars where the community basically determines uh, via their proposals, how tax dollars should be spent. And these proposals are of course then reviewed by these different city departments, um, and, and their support given obviously to help folks with the implementation of these ideas and concepts, uh, you know, that they're proposing. So we've got, uh, that division and then we've got a policy division. So those are the four, uh, divisions of the office of civil rights
1: and you said uh you have four attorneys on board right now and uh, right. you're you're you'd like to have 45 people is there any reason why you don't have these people
2: well some of it is just i think uh some of the experiences that we're all experiencing in terms of just workforce right uh burnt out workforce people wanting to explore different opportunities um uh, some of it is just a natural byproduct i would say uh of change management and so we've got uh, three positions right now that have been hired folks that are literally in the process of coming on board. So I anticipate that we'll be, uh, you know, by summer's end at, at, at full capacity with our office.
1: Well, what the people listening and, you know, an hour or so after this, uh, live broadcast, uh, Eric and the, the operations manager for the station will get this up on, uh, uh be available on uh, Alexa is also on, on the podcast. So it'll be up 24-7 so people can hear you. Uh now what I need to know now is to if you could give our listeners the information on how they could contact you, how they contact the civil rights office, uh your website, any information like that.
2: Yeah, certainly. Um, so you can contact my office multiple ways. Uh you can I can be reached uh at 206 7822 Uh I can also be reached by email, Derek dot
1: wheeler-smith at Seattle.gov. Okay, and uh we want to have you on you know every quarter because uh right now I think the city of Seattle is down to six or seven percent African descendants of the United States enslaved and in the central area I think it's about 15% at one time it was over 80% that was doing segregation. So, uh, we'll, we want to keep up with you. Uh, you're the enforcement arm to make sure the people' rights are not abridged. And, uh, so I'm glad you're in the position and glad you're looking out for all of the citizens of the city of Seattle. We might have to borrow you and rent it on occasions. So <laughs> I really want to thank you, uh, Derek, for, for the work you're doing and, uh, and taking care of, of uh, any kind of discrimination that any uh, protected groups experiencing in the city of Seattle. So thank you very much, but we will be talking further because we didn't get you had the chance of going to go into your bio about all the other stuff you've done before you got that position. So thank you very much, Director Derek Wheeler-Smith. We appreciate you. Thank
2: you so much. Thanks for having me.
1: Okay. All right. Uh, my next guest is uh, Stephanie Johnson-Tolliver. Uh, Stephanie is the president of the Washington State Black Heritage Society. And they'll have a meeting coming up, a meet and greet, and I'll let her tell you all about it. So, Stephanie, thank you so much for agreeing to come on uh, to, uh, to Urban Forum Northwest. Why don't you share with our listeners what you have coming up?
3: Hey, hi, Eddie. Um, gosh, what don't we have coming up? I just feel like, you know, if we're only halfway through this year, and it feels like we've done a full year's work. So this Saturday. Uh, June 24th, uh, we are hosting our BHS Black Heritage Society of Washington State Members and Friends annual meeting. And the meeting is going to be at Washington Hall. We absolutely love Washington Hall and being there and supporting them. Um, The meeting begins at 11 o'clock, 11 to 1. So we're inviting the community as well as our members to come out and and hear about, you know, what we've done and accomplished in the last year, and then also hear about um, strategies moving forward. We want to hear from the community, too.
1: And the meeting will be at Washington Hall. Yes. And what can people expect? Is there going to be uh, any kind of, is this your form, your annual meeting? Uh, can you g- share the agenda with our listeners?
3: Yeah, you know, there'll be a brief um, business meeting. You know, we have a couple of uh, business issues to get out of the way and with our treasurer's report and all of that kind of fascinating business. And then we are welcoming. They're um, really proud and happy to welcome uh, James King, Jr., who is the executive director at the McKinney Center. And James is gonna tell us, you know, all about what's been going on over there. You know, the old SOIC building, um, you know, all the latest on um, where they're at, what they're accomplishing there, how they need to reach the community, what they're doing to reach the community. So we wanna hear about that. And uh, BHS too is excited about a possibility of maybe having a, a satellite office in that building.
1: And well, it would be great to have one in there, i tell you that. That's why we. Uh, I was one of the people involved in uh, Representative Sharon Tomiko Santos, sponsored the legislation. She was the sole sponsor, House Bill 1918 and 2019. And uh, we were able to get many members of the community, members of the clergy, and other folks to go down uh, to lobby on behalf of her legislation. And it went unopposed uh, in the House and the Senate. So, uh, And she also has uh, been uh, really helpful in getting money in to bring it up to par, because you know uh, the community college system let it go. They said it should okay. be torn down. But that b- building represents uh, Black pride because it was built by, by the help of Reverend McKinney bringing OIC to Seattle. That building was built to train African descendants of the United States enslaved to become proficient in various categories so they could make a livable wage. So yeah. that history can't be lost on that. So I make sure people re- Understand how it got there and why it's there, because there are a lot of people that are much younger. You know, they're thirty or forty understand. years old might not even understand they the don't. significance. That's why it's uh, so important to have the Black Heritage Society keeping uh, our history before the the people. So thank you very much for that.
3: Yeah, thank you. Yes, we're we're we would really love to be at that building. um Our main office, of course, is in Georgetown, where we share the repository with the Museum of History and Industry. And that's where we manage all of our our archive and collections, but to be in the central district to hold space here um, would be absolutely wonderful. And you're right about all that history and heritage of that building, um, model cities and and everything about it. So I know the plans are to bring back some sort of skilled uh, programming and opportunities there, but also you know, opening space to other members in the community to come and, and be in that space. So that's what we're going to hear about from James. And then we're after a couple years away um, uh, of not presenting our Youth Founders Scholarship. We're going to present to a recipient this year, a scholarship of a high school senior that's moving on to higher education, a $2,000 scholarship. We're really excited to to give. and um you know sharing just all the initiatives and and programs that we have looking forward
1: and now will that happen at uh at your Saturday meeting from 11 to one at Washington Hall? yes yes okay. all
3: of that all of that business and um you know sharing a few things we're having a uh we've been fortunate enough through our relationship with the the black future fund uh black future co-op fund to uh partner with the University of Washington um, Foster School to bring on a non-voting member from one of the fellows to our board for 24, 2023 and twenty four. So um, we'll be talking a little bit about that too.
1: Okay. How can people get information about the Washington State Black Heritage Society?
3: Okay. You can get probably all you need to know at our website. So Go to our website, www.bhs.org, and um, you'll have the opportunity there. You'll see where you can sign in um, for an appointment to actually come into the archive. Um, You can reach us by telephone. Our our phone number is there, our mailing address. You can um, sign up up as a member, and uh, all of that business is there, Eddie.
1: Okay, well, so this, Saturday, Saturday this Saturday, Saturday eleven to one, Washington Hall. Yes. Matter of fact, my next guest, Elmer out at Washington Hall last Friday. He was. Uh, Hi, yeah, he, was so he has uh, a book out called "Die Standing," and if you go to my web my website, I mean, my put Facebook page, you'll see that. Also, his brother Aaron has his book. My people are rising. People are oh, rising. People. Well, now we, we
3: at, B, at BHS, we purchased a copy for our archives so that we'll hold it there in
1: perpetuity. All right. Now, we. Okay. Aaron said you got to get his too, though. Okay. <laughs> thank you very much, Stephanie. <laughs> All really right. We appreciate sure. it. Okay. Okay. See you okay. later. Bye-bye. All right. Elmer. Okay. I have the honor of having Aaron and Elmer Dixon, uh, co-founders of the Seattle Black Panther Party, Uh, uh, The first chapter formed after the uh, uh, group was formed in Oakland, California, in 1968. So as Aaron on? I don't see him yet. So anyway, well, we'll start with whatever Dixon started. I know he's your older brother, but we'll start with you. (laughs) So uh, why don't you, uh, you know, a lot everybody know about the Dixon brothers, but why don't you just go ahead and give a little brief summary about where you've been and what you're doing now, and then we're going to talk about your book
4: yeah i yeah and i you know we we actually were the first chapter outside of the state of california and the first chap the second chapter overall after the southern california chapter in, in los angeles but uh i you know these years you know how fast these years go by and uh after coming out of 14 years you know in the black panther party Uh, I spent uh, some time as a director of a Boys and Girls Club, the Al Davies Boys and Girls Club in Tacoma, um, and then coming to Seattle to uh, uh, work at the Park Department and serving uh, under uh, Walt uh, uh, Hundley Hundley as his EEO officer and the training manager for the Park Department, which is where I really... um, began to make this transition into diversity work uh, and the two women that started uh, you know i actually served on uh, mayor rice's uh, cabinet briefly charlie royer brought me on then i served on um, mayor the first black mayor of seattle's cabinet as the director of the citizen service bureau but the two women who started this company executive diversity services spotted me while i was working as an eeo officer and had uh, was actually protecting women uh, from sexual harassment at the park department and uh, had brought a manager up before some very serious charges and recommended him being removed which he was and that caught their attention and they brought me into their company and um, i continued to to work until 1990 when linda taylor and myself uh, she was a director of the office of women's rights also on uh, Charlie and uh, Norm's cabinet when we started to build the company. And so since then, uh, it's been a whirlwind ride of doing work with, uh, clients, uh, major clients across the United States and around the globe. And, uh, I currently guest lecture at a university in Finland, uh, every year for the last 12 years on diversity related topics. And I've been the president of EDS since uh, 2010.
1: I was just just curious. Uh, do you do more work? Do you, do you do more work outside of the country than you do in the country? Because it seems like every time I talk to you, you're on your way to Sweden, to Finland, to Ireland. <laughs> and you also receive some recognition awards over there, too. Why don't you share with our listeners about some of that?
4: Yeah, I, most of our work has been in the U.S. Um, I mean, we trained like uh, 65,000 managers for PepsiCo and PepsiCo International. I, I want to point out that when we very when we started with PepsiCo back in 2005 there was a, a a woman uh in the the classroom when we were training the top executives uh, uh who became the first woman to head uh, woman of color to head a major uh a fortune 100 company her name was Indra Nui uh, and Indra was in my class and she became the president a couple of years later uh, so we've done some pretty extensive work across the country um but you know in europe um where i I work in at the uh university and i do lectures on dni uh as part of as a member of a an organization called ceatar society for intercultural education training and research those those sessions i do globally are for broader audiences but um last year uh, i was uh, asked to come to uh, Trinity College in uh, Dublin, Ireland. And I had spoken to this Black woman's class, she's a sister, I spoke to her class the year before virtually, and she wanted me to come in person. And uh, the uh, a Black student organization that's part of a broader student organization called The Phil, their, their portion is called the Udon, got wind that I was coming. And this uh, organization, this student organization, has been around for 500 years. They're the oldest student organization in the world. They've been giving out this prestigious award uh, for the last 300 years to people like uh, Desmond Tutu, Winston Churchill, Whoopi Goldberg, just to name a few. And they nominated me for this recognition for my work as a Black Panther. And I told them that the only way that I would accept that award was on behalf of the, the Black Panther Party and my comrades, because we don't accept individual recognition or awards and that's how i received the uh the honor was on behalf of members of the black panther party because you know we were you know we were an army we were an organization we were one uh but it was a high recognition um and uh, i think it was it's really symbolic of how the the black panther party uh has gotten recognition globally Really long before the recognition came here, we before we started getting it here in the United States. More recently, following our fiftieth anniversary, it was, it was a high and honor um, for uh, members of the Black Panther Party. And you guys have
1: the only uh, medical clinic that's still uh, around today, uh, the Carolyn Downs Medical Clinic.
4: Yeah, you know, Eddie, it's it's so ironic that when we started this free medical clinic in 1970 uh it was in response to and and we were always taught to do our you know it, you know to investigate to do our research and and find out you know where the people were suffering the most that's and this was one of the programs that we we launched and we found that the uh the the CD had the second highest infant mortality rate in the whole state of Washington. And so our very first clinic was a well baby clinic because black mothers were dying in childbirth at, at at disproportionate levels. And 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 so we 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 really addressed that very early on. But here we are, you know, 53 years later, uh, and Tori Bowie, uh the Olympic gold medalist, uh died just last week. It alone in her apartment eight months pregnant her and her baby died mm-hmm. and black women are three to four times again here we are again all over again three to four times at more at risk to die uh, in childbirth uh trying to give birth to a baby because they do not have one adequate health care or their doctors don't even aren't even aware they're white doctors aren't even aware or don't tell them that they're at risk so they can get the kind of care that they need early on. So it's a, you know, it's it's that old, you know, one step forward, two steps backwards, Eddie. You know, we, um, and our clinic is the only uh, existing original Black Panther clinic in operation today. Uh, And they are, in fact, addressing that issue uh, at their clinic, so, um, you know.
1: I want to see, hold on one minute, uh, Elmer. Uh, Eric, can we take that break right now, the second break right now? And we'll come back with Elmer Dixon.
5: At Sound Transit, we not only connect more people to more places, we're making life better for all. We're connecting diverse neighborhoods to an entire region of opportunities, like jobs and school. If you have an ORCA card, you can just tap and go. We have reduced fares for seniors and riders with disabilities. For adults with lower incomes, check out ORCA Lift and pay just a dollar for your ride. To plan your trip or to learn more, visit us at soundtransit.org.
0: Make us part of your daily routine. Alternative Talk, 1150.
1: All right, we're coming back, but I got a a message from Rhonda Staten from Mount She's a clerk of the Mount Zion Baptist Church, and uh, there's going to be a vote on uh, the pastor uh, uh, on the compensation package. I want to get it to you because I promised her I would do it. So here it is right here. Uh, after receiving a vote of 90% in favor of senior pastor candidate, the congregation will vote on the compensation package on Wednesday, June 28th at 6 p.m. at Mount Zion Baptist Church on the Fellowship Hall. We are encouraging all members to be present. That's Rhonda Staten, who gave Angela Rye her first real job at the Seattle Times, which is the Student University of Washington. So we'll always be indebted to Rhonda Staten. She can get stuff on the air when she wants to. So Aaron mm-hmm. Dixon, the captain. Hey, hey, what's going on, man? Right, man. Uh, Elmer has been rapping for a while, so... Uh, i held your book up let everybody see that both of them up here And I, people that ask me where can they get something i had uh 15 or 20 i could sell some for y'all but anyway uh <laughs> aaron i just wanted you to go ahead and just uh talk a little bit about the first days of, of uh you know the organization uh and elmer's done an outstanding job already uh but why don't you just go ahead and talk about you know being uh, the co-founder and, the, and 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 the captain and also Elmer is the one that made sure that Jesse Weinberry stayed alive to be a state representative. Okay, so you got what time did you guys start? Uh we on the, we on the air right now. We started at at uh, at 220. Uh, okay. Okay. I know you're different. Okay, go right ahead. We're on the air.
6: Well, uh 1968 was a very a uh, contentious time period, a lot was going on, things were moving very fast, and, um, and uh, you know, uh, starting the chapter in Seattle was uh, something that uh, was uh, a very important time for Seattle black community. Uh, It was something that they had been waiting for. As soon as we opened our our office up, we got uh, and and got our phones and we started getting calls immediately from the community for a variety of problems that they were having. And uh, we took over 300 applications the first couple of weeks of people that wanted to join the party. And a lot of people were people that we knew, people that we grew up with, people from the community, um, you know, older people, young people. Uh, and so right there on that, on that, I, I'm not the corner, but in the middle of that block on uh, 34th and uh, off of Union became a, a hub of activity, uh, leather jackets and berets and everything, you know, uh, started happening. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, uh, and at the same time, it, it was, it was not easy. It was, uh, you know, I was only 19 years old. Elmer was 18 and we had a lot of, you know, we had some older guys too that had came around and, uh, You know, one of the things that happened uh, that was not a good sign was when Curtis Harris tried to inject himself as being the assistant captain of the Black Panther Party in Seattle, of which there was no such position as assistant captain. So that was uh, the beginning of something that would be very, almost very detrimental to the uh, Seattle chapter. But, um, You know, early on, I got called down to Oakland, um, and I had to go through a training period uh, in Oakland. I was down there for about a week. I went up to the Alameda County Jail, had to uh, meet Huey, um, and, you know, have a short conversation with him. And one of the most important things he told me before I left was he said, never turn your back on the pigs and that's something that always stuck with me. I always remembered that. Um and uh while I was down there I uh was with five other Panthers in West Oakland uh one Friday night and uh we got into a confrontation with the uh, Oakland Police Department that led it to a standoff. We were armed, they were armed. Um uh, uh, the people in the community were so fearful. They, everybody was running home. Businesses were closing. You could hear people saying there's going to be a shootout. This was almost on the same corner that Huey had his shootout with the police. So, uh, you know, we, we could have died that night. And of course the police would have died that night too. Uh, but we stood our ground and, uh, that was uh, my baptism into the Black Panther Party that night in uh, in West Oakland. Um, but when I came back to Seattle, I had a better understanding what the party was all about, and uh, and, and I, I really began to understand it was it was very serious business. So. Um, we got calls from people in the community that were having domestic problems, people that were having problems with the uh, police. Um, and, you know, we, we dealt with these things as best as we could. You know, we often got calls from women who were being abused by their uh, boyfriend or their husband. You know, we we, we would, you know, we send a squad of Panthers down there who were armed. And, you know, that's, that's treating that situation up. Pretty quickly, um, You know, Oak- Seattle was one of the few places in the country, along with Oakland, where uh, they had open carry and you could carry weapons around. This wasn't something that happened across the country, but it happened in Oakland and it happened in Seattle. So we were, you know, uh, openly displaying carrying our weapons around wherever we went and uh, even in the office. Um, and so, uh, you know, um, we had a lot of young people that joined the party, uh, from Franklin, some from Garfield and other places. And, uh, I remember, um, Elmer had become my Lieutenant and, uh, we had to form a goon squad to, uh, you know, discipline these young brothers because we, you know, they had to understand that we were a disciplined organization and we had rules to follow. You know, it wasn't the Black Panther Party, it wasn't a club, it wasn't a gang, It was a revolutionary organization. Um, and so uh, one of the things that happened in May, uh, late May, was we got a call from a black mother who had a student at Raina Beach High School. And she said that her son had got jumped on by white kids at the school and the principal refused to do anything about it. So uh, around that time, Bobby Seale, I I was sending in weekly reports to Bobby Seale and he told me that he felt that we were going on too many uh, excursions and answering too many calls from the community. And so uh, he told me that, you know, not to not to go out on any more of these community calls. So when she called, I told her, I'm sorry, ma'am, that we're not going to be able to come out to Rainier Beach. Uh, but she called me. She called back um, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. And my response was always the same. And she called back on Friday and uh, she was crying. And another black mother called back. Uh, called our office and said the same thing, that the white kids had bought bats, had bought uh, bricks and chains to school, and were jumping on the Black students and the Asian students. And she wanted us to come. Uh, She needed us to come. And so there were about maybe seven or eight Iron Panthers in the office, and we we decided we were going to go to Rainier Beach to uh, deal with that situation because the police weren't doing anything about it. And so we went out there and uh, there was a sergeant uh, in the front of the school. We parked across the street. We got about out of our cars with our weapons and we walked to the front of the building. The sergeant said, "said uh, Dixon, you can't take those loaded weapons inside. And I told him um, uh, they're not. Loaded, which meant there wasn't a bullet in the chamber because we knew the gun laws. If you had a weapon and it wasn't chambered, then if you knew that it wasn't chambered, it was considered to be unloaded. So we just went on right into school. We just brushed on past him, went on right into the school. The principal saw us. He took off running down the hallway. Willie Brazier and some other Panthers went and got him and brought him back and set him down and told him if he didn't protect those kids that we were gonna protect him. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he was very scared. He was very visibly shaken. And uh, he promised from that point on, he would protect those kids.
1: Look, I just wanna say, uh, we are almost out of time. So what I wanna let people know, <laughs> you can get My People rising, uh, rising by Aaron Dixon, and you can also get Die Standing by Elmer Dixon. So I got to have both of y'all back on because there's a lot of more information that needs to be displayed because I also want people to hear about Elmer going, sending the squad down there, go get Jesse Wineberry out the street. Police had him spread <laughs> eagle on, on the concrete with other young people and, uh, and Elmer saved him. So that's why he end up being a state representative. So we got to do this again because you guys have a lot of information, but I'm going to make sure I put pump your books every chance I get. So thank you all right. much for your time today okay Thanks, okay right. thank you okay, right. thank you. okay uh, my, my next guest is reverend dr paul stute founder and pastor of the trinity uh church in everett washington and uh he is uh uh celebrating a 30th anniversary uh coming up uh i guess it started on the 11th when he had a uh, reverend dr Robert l manoway uh delivered the message and on the 24th is a a banquet And at the banquet, uh, Reverend Dr. Leslie D. Braxton will be the speaker. So, Pastor Paul, why don't you uh, share with our listeners a little bit about yourself and a little about about what's happening at Greater Trinity. You also have a school out there as well.
7: Well, uh, Mr. Eddie Wright, thank you all for having me. Um, I do have a school out here uh, that we started some nearly 25 years ago. We're in our 24th year, middle of our 24th year now. Kenny Easley, I'm sure you remember that name, you know, old Kenny, uh, former Seattle Seahawk, number 45, and I started this school together, along with Kenny is responsible of being like a business partner and advisor to me when we first started the church, Greater Trinity Church, uh, some 30 plus years ago at this point, and uh, we acquired the property we are presently at you know, for the last 29 years. And so Kenny, very instrumental with me then as well as now. And uh, it's just an exciting thing. This uh, this weekend I'll be celebrating the banquet uh, for the uh, church um, at the Delta Hotel, which would be our, um, what? What did I say? 30, 30 years celebration. And so we're definitely grateful and glad to have Leslie Braxton, Reverend Dr. Leslie Braxton from the uh, New Beginnings Church to be our keynote speaker. And on Sunday, we'll be um, having uh, the Reverend Ralph Douglas West, who's flying in all the way from Houston, who is my pastor as well, uh, to be our speaker.
1: Uh, so tell us a little bit about uh, some of the activities you're doing up there in Snohomish County and around the Puget Sound area. Uh, you've been an advocate on certain um, certain situations and uh, hear a little bit more about the school as well. Um, the activity that we're doing right
7: now, uh Eddie is that we are um, um we have a school that we you know have formulated to help educate the early child, you know hood uh category areas for children um and so what we've done is we have uh, taken children as young as two years old to 12 years old and we have um uh, academically prepared them for learning and getting them ready for kindergarten by the time the children that are two when they start our school uh, get to three and a half four years old they're reading Uh, to give them a head start. These are those underprivileged children. Uh, Children come out of underprivileged communities and BIPOC children, and uh, we're preparing them to have a a, a hand up for elementary school. So by the time they're six uh, and then they leave our program, it's it's easy that that child can be somewhere prepared for second or third grade. Can you imagine that? Or or can you just imagine a three-year-old reading? I'm sure you know the name Terry Metcalf because you all are native of Seattle. Terry Metcalf is our curriculum specialist who drives all the way from South Seattle up to Everett every day. And he's training and teaching our teachers from the two year old classroom to the five year old classroom how to teach this one particular curriculum that is having children um, at a, you know, a leg up, man. I'm telling you, just amazing how they are prepared for. Uh, grade school by the time they're four four and a half years old. So that's what the children are doing um, uh, at the uh, RASF Academy. And I will say this, you know, just to throw out there, on July 6th, you're definitely invited. And I think it would be a good thing for you to come, Eddie, and stand with me. But July 6th, there's this big celebration that's going to take place at the school on the parking lot. Not on the parking lot, but on the playground. And Sonoma County is hosting a press conference of some major awards that's been given to the community of certain agencies that's doing such work, such as ourselves, and we're going to be honored that day. We're not allowed to advertise what the award's going to be, uh, but it will be uh, pretty amazing to go along with this new school that we're getting ready to build.
1: And so uh, where is this activity going to be on July 6th?
7: July 6th at the uh Rise Up Academy, also Greater Trinity Academy. Uh address is one one two two nine Fourth Fourth Avenue West.
1: Now, Everett. up in Everett, there, there are no racial problems. There's no discrimination or nothing. So you have to be involved with being an advocate for people who are being abused and misused and discriminated against.
7: Well, you you know there is a lot of that
1: uh, problem that's
7: still going on. And I, I have a I have a, a good wholesome conversation that I would love to talk about some of the disparities in racial divide that we're still suffering and how the biases are still existing uh, from major organizations that are in the area that don't even want to contribute to the cause of these children and may find it more of a personal reason why they will not contribute to the children, be it as hot skin color or be it the personality problem that they have with the individuals. But yet, You know, that's a challenge that we're still fighting. We're fighting a good fight, man, I tell you.
1: Well, I know uh, Dr. Janice Green, the president of the Stormish County NAACP, has been stellar for the last few years that I've known her in her leadership. Do do you work uh, with Dr. Green?
7: We don't do much work with Dr. Green, but I will say this for the record. Um, NAACP, if you remember back in that day, we were the responsible parties for um bringing the NAACP charter back to Everett because uh it had been disbanded. And I was the one that was going back talking to Julian Bond as well as Rosalind Brock back in the day that re you know uh insta- you know reinstated the charter. So uh I've had some work that I've done with them, uh, as well as I am a lifelong member of the NAACP. And um, and I am uh, definitely uh, a side participant with him in whatever civil rights activity I can be in. You know me and, um, uh, what's his name? I mean, me and Reverend Dr. Al Sharpton still working together. Matter of fact, he did take out a major ad in our souvenir booklet this year. I'm grateful for that.
1: Yeah, Reverend Al is right on time all the time. So, uh Yes, sir. Uh, I'm happy that you have that relationship. relationship. I, I get a chance to see him two or three times a year, going back to D.C. for the National Black Caucus and probably a couple of other events. So, uh, once again, okay. that uh, that uh, uh, that appreciation uh, for the 30th anniversary is going to be where
7: going to be at the uh, Greater Trinity Greater Trinity Church uh, in South Everett, 11229 4th Avenue West. I would advise. People that want to come and see this great uh, personality of a speaker and a historical person in our time of preaching, Reverend Dr. Ralph Douglas West, he will be here and they come come early. I, I, you know, I'm going to tell you something going to say um, later. Why didn't you host it at another church where more people can get in the building? It's really a Ralph Douglas West decision to have it at our church and nowhere else. I did that one time before and uh he was not too happy with me he said i'm not coming to somebody else's church i'm coming to your church so he, he's not big on uh what size the building is he just coming to the size of the person that he loves the most you know and that's the pastor so uh so we're gonna have it at our church and i'm sure we can only get a few in there but if they're gonna come like are they used on to live
1: stream that- are you gonna live stream that event
7: we will be live streaming
1: okay <clears throat> Do we have information on that yet?
7: Uh, I I believe the information will be go to the church's website, Greater Trinity Church website, and we will live stream it from there.
1: Okay. uh, Reverend Dr. Paul Stude Sr., congratulations and keep up the good work, and we'll see you soon.
7: Eddie, thank you so much for your years and years of love and support. Man, I've always enjoyed working with you, and you know if you ever need me, just
1: call me. I certainly will do it, sir. Thank you very much. All right. I want to give a shout out to the Sound Transit Office of Civil Rights, Equity and Inclusion. The Port of Seattle's Diversity Contracting Office. You heard me and Rice a little earlier. The City of Seattle's Purchasing and Construction Services Department, SeaTac Bar Group, LLC. That's Rod O'Neill and Jerry Whitsett. They own the African Lounge and the Mountain Room Bar. And also, once again, uh, Tracy Harrell, is uh, Dr. Tracy's event is the day. Uh at uh three o'clock is the first event, and I'm gonna tell you what it is in a minute, as soon as I can pull it up here. Uh uh, uh there's one event at three o'clock, and then there's another event at five thirty. This is at the Renton uh Hyatt, uh, right on Lake Washington. Uh I'll get the rest of the information shortly, but I also want to once again give Ron, Rhonda Satan's uh message uh, out uh in terms of uh what's gonna be happening and uh They're going to have a, after receiving a vote of 90% in favor of the senior pastor candidate, the congregation will vote on the compensation package on Wednesday, June 28th at 6 p.m. at the Mount Zion Baptist Church in the Fellowship Hall. And Rhonda Staten is encouraging all of the members uh, to, uh, he's encouraging all the members to attend and uh, make sure you cast that vote, because I guess it's been a couple of years since he's been a pastor. Also, I want to talk a little bit more. Uh, yeah, why don't we go ahead and take this break and wait for the Willmores to call in, Eric, thanks.
0: Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity and Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field that means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle-Tacoma International Airport, Visit lease.ctaxshops.com.
5: At Sound Transit, we not only give people more reliable ways to get around, we're connecting diverse neighborhoods to an entire system of opportunities, like jobs, school, friends and family, and to the airport. Our commitment to economic development provides opportunities for women and people of color to compete fairly for Sound Transit contracts. All of this helps our regional workforce grow and thrive. Go to soundtransit.org and search DBE to learn more.
0: Want to hear something different from talk radio? Keep your dial on Alternative Talk 1150.
1: All right, let me ride back with my last guest, and that's uh, Miss Kathy Wilmore of Fathers and Sons Together. Larry Wilmore is the father, but he's at work, so she's on the air. And there's a big event they have coming up. It is... uh, a uh, Father's Day special. It's uh, Dad and Daughter's Day uh, at uh, Rainier Beach Community Center. So go right ahead, Miss Kathy, and tell us what's gonna be happening.
8: Hello, everyone. Hope you all are having a wonderful day. On Saturday, uh, June 24th, uh, from 12 to four, we will be hosting a special Dad and Daughter's Day event. And we know we just um, celebrated Father's Day, but this will be an extension of the love right so um we are um, extending an invitation to all of our communities to come out and share Um, bring your daughter bring your niece um bring your mom everyone is invited to attend this event it will feature um isaiah anderson will be our emcee we have um spoken word by Marsha blair um Greg Lewis will be one of our speakers, um, and the throwbacks will be our entertainment. Uh, this event is filled with prizes food it's a free event I'll say that again. Um, we have photos and um, all kind of activities and resources to make this day special. So um, we'd just like to invite everyone to come out, and the reason why is because this relationship really does matter, and um, this is just an extension of the work that we do to um, promote uh, activities and events for our community to create public safety and um, to, um, to, to embrace the relationships between our fathers, daughters, and families
1: and what time and where will this event be, and how can people get information about the event?
8: They can uh, give me a call at 206-228-6460, or they can visit our website, which is Um The event will be held at the Rainier Beach Community Center, 8825 Rainier Avenue South, on Saturday from 12 to 4 p.m.
1: All right, so uh, Kathy, thank you very much and thank you for the work that you and Mr. Larry Wilmore do for the community. And uh, I guess your your son was over in South Africa?
8: Yes, yes, he was. He he was um, a part of the African leadership program there and um, he spent his whole junior spring semester there. And we're so pleased that he did an exceptional job. He did well um, in his academics and also in building those relationships and strengthening his leadership skills. So we're very, very, super duper proud of him. Um, okay. he, he, well, thank you very
1: much, Ms. Kathy. We appreciate you. I'm sorry we didn't connect up sooner. But anyway, we'll keep uh, people apprised of the efforts and the programs that Fathers and sons together are putting out there. So, thank you very much. Appreciate it.
8: Thank you. Thank
1: you. Oh, Bye now. Okay. Now, uh, Dr. Tracy Arrell's event is going to be at the uh, Renton Hyatt, uh, the Strategic Networking and Black Business Showcases, 3 to 5 p.m. Uh, today, Thursday afternoon. And then Living Powerfully Experience Wellness, Wealth, and the Art of Transformation from 5 30 to 7 30 p.m. And that's one of the panels that I'm on. And once again, I want to thank Sound Transit's Office of Civil Rights, Equity and Inclusion, Port of Seattle Diversity Contracting Office, the City of Seattle Purchasing and Construction Services Department, Sea Tag Bar Group, LLC, the two Desert Storm veterans on the African Lounge and the Mountain Room Bar. And don't forget to show up at Mount Zion on Wednesday at six o'clock if you are a member to vote on the compensation package for the password that's being considered. Thank you very much, Eric. I'll talk to you soon.